Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. This is Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague Stuart Mandel. Uh, We are taping Sunday morning, just hours after Alabama really dominated in the second half and blew away Georgia. Stu, what do you make of the Tide right now? Yeah, the Tide, they are, I think... uh, the latest example, LSU last year being another one, where I don't think they exposed Georgia's defense. I think Georgia is outstanding defensively in terms of talent. I just think that in this day and age of college football, when you have an offense like LSU had last year, when you have an offense like this Alabama one with uh, Mac Jones playing out of his mind and two unbelievable receivers and Najee Harris, and I think probably doesn't get talked about enough, but their offensive line is so dominant. I don't think it matters. I don't think you're going to, you know, the, the the traditional notion that you're going to run the ball and play dominant defense isn't going to work. And so if they are going to play again in, in a couple months, and I'm not saying that's a definitive thing, but obviously I think we at this point expect Alabama to be there and then it's going to be Georgia or Florida. What's going to, what can they do differently? Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer to to slowing down that Alabama offense. Yeah, I, I think to me the difference is they are just so explosive. And I felt like, you know, you can talk all you want about Georgia's recruiting and five-star this and five-star that. Alabama's skill talent to me just is like a big notch above what Georgia's is. I mean, Georgia has good running backs. Alabama has a better running back. Georgia has promising young receivers but they're nowhere near that and I think that puts so much pressure on the other team's quarterback you know Stetson Bennett had some good moments and then it looked like the 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 deeper the hole it was getting he could not keep up there were batted balls I thought that you really just didn't see Georgia's receivers step up anywhere near the way Alabama's did and I think you're right I think because the receivers are so good and Mac Jones's numbers are so eye-popping that I think it lost a little bit is just how good this offensive line is. I mean, Georgia has a very big physical front, and they really couldn't get enough pressure on Mac Jones. And so I don't know what changes. I mean, it's it's weird because you watch that game, especially in the first half, and then you look back even at the stats, and Georgia averaged almost five yards a carry, which is obviously a lot. And when you have a lead going into the second half, and yet I think they only carry the ball, you know, ran the ball like 12 times in the second half, which is like you wonder, would it have changed much if they relied on the run even more? I, I doubt it. But it was one of those things where also they just look like their secondary just couldn't keep up. I don't want to say they got exposed because that's not fair to them. But, um, you know, hats off to Alabama. Obviously it was a it was a – unique week what with Nick Saban first testing positive for COVID on Wednesday and then obviously the three subsequent negative PCR tests so he was able to get back on the field and it seems to me like there is just a big gap between Alabama and everybody else this year in 
the SEC, and I don't know what, you know, again, other teams can get better, and who knows if there's injuries or who knows what. You know, it's still going to be a relatively long season, maybe not long, as long as normal. Um, but this was just an impressive statement, I thought, by, by Alabama. And that's why, to me, even though Clemson was annihilating Georgia Tech, you know, I don't know how you look at what Alabama did last night, who they've beaten. And by the way, you know, they, they, uh, they crushed Texas A&M, and Texas A&M to me is a legit top 10 team. I don't know how you'd look at them and say, yeah, they don't deserve to be a number one right now. A mm, little early for that debate, but yeah, I, I think they deserve, I, I could say they deserve to be number one based on who they've played. I still think Clemson, as of now, is the best team in the country. What they, I mean, Georgia Tech is not good, and they're not great, but they did have two ACC wins already, and they beat them 73 to 6. Uh, it's uh, like that, that, what Clemson is doing, what Clemson is doing is what, is, is to me a slightly better version of what Alabama is doing. They both have great quarterbacks, skill talent, but Alabama's, I mean, you just said they're head and shoulders above the rest of the SEC, but remember just last week, Ole Miss took them right down to the wire. They couldn't stop Ole Miss. And for the first half, in the first half of Saturday night, Georgia, even though they don't have that same, you know, frenetic up-tempo offense, Georgia was having success against that defense. They were running the ball on them. Stetson Bennett made some great throws Whatever Alabama did to adjust in the second half clearly worked, but that is that is still not a. Uh, I mean, this may be the most ho hum Alabama defense that Saban's ever had or had in a long time. Let's see. But Georgia I, I, wasn't the right team to take advantage of it. I don't think. I think it's still very early to just write off uh, w- what this defense will become. Over you know, look, their secondary is very is very inexperienced, and that got exposed at times, but. I, you can't, to me, you can't compare. Like, I don't know what to read about whipping Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is not a good team right now. Remember, Georgia Tech lost by two or three touchdowns to Syracuse. Syracuse got destroyed by Liberty. I know this is the transitive thing, but <laughs> the only thing I would say is Georgia Tech is... It, it, the difference between Georgia and Georgia Tech right now oh, I know. is light years. And so my, my only point with this, and this is not to the smart Clemson because I think they're excellent but right now it's hard to get too much of a read on what Clemson is because nobody you know the best opponent they played so far is Miami whereas I don't know if my I, I don't think I would pick Miami over Texas A&M right now and Alabama hammered them and nobody that nobody else has a win this season compared to beating Georgia the way they did. I mean, they dominated Georgia in the second half. So anyway, that's, as you said, it's probably too early for that kind of discussion. Um, But I I thought it was certainly noteworthy that you had the two legit SEC heavyweights. And man, you know, like upsets do happen, but it's just going to take a, I don't know, it just seems like the gap between Alabama and everybody else in the SEC this year is bigger than it has been at any other year. And it's again, it wasn't like this last year, obviously, because LSU was a better team. And it wasn't like this a few years ago because some other teams were closer. But I just feel like for a variety of circumstances, as you know, as you alluded to, the Georgia offense. Remember, this is a Georgia offense coming into this year, which has obviously been a crazy offseason. And this is not to make excuses for them at all, but you have a new offensive system. You have a new quarterback who's really getting broken out on the fly. You have almost an entirely new offensive line. 
and a very inexperienced offensive, you know, very inexperienced group of receivers. So that's not what Alabama has right now. I mean, it's just a very different dynamic. And so to me, if you're not really dynamic on offense, I think it's going to be almost impossible to win a national title. And that's I want to hit on that in a minute as it relates to a couple other teams that I was noticed yesterday and kind of had some thoughts on. But, um, you know, that that's just my feeling of, of seeing what Alabama did last night and also maybe reading into, I think, where we are in college football in 2020 right now. Please tell us where we are in college football in 2020. Well, again, it gets back to that point. If you do not have an offense that can be really explosive and hit huge plays and have that that potential, especially in the passing game, I don't know if you can win a national title right now, just because I think it's harder to play lockdown defense, especially in a year where you've had either no spring football or, or hardly any spring football, where you've just had all kinds of interruptions as it's been. And that's why I look at Notre Dame, for instance. You know, I think Notre Dame's good. I think they are. But I watched them against Louisville, and I watched a lot of that game. They have no explosive plays. Their pass game is a dud at this point. And it's not to say Ian, Ian Book can't play well in big games, but, I mean, that wasn't a very good Louisville team. They didn't have a pass play over 20 yards all day. They do have some speed, but it's just right now – I look at them, and again, they have a really good offensive line. I think they have a good defense. But just as the, as using Notre Dame as an example, uh, if you look at teams now that are that are the heavyweight, legit heavyweight national title contenders, and I'm gonna even though they haven't played yet, I'm gonna put Ohio State in there. But they have real explosive capabilities on offense, and I'm not saying Notre Dame doesn't have anybody who can run, but it's just it's not the same dimension. And if you don't have that. I just think you're not going to win games, not this year, nine, nine to six. It's just the game is not set up that way right now. It's been fascinating to watch now, I would say, you know, in our time covering the sport, we've watched several um, evolution, you know, periods of evolution in offense. And the first was obviously everybody going to spread offenses and you had the you know, you had the the leech throw the ball fifty times version, but you would also, you know, Chip Kelly at Oregon. That was a very run heavy spread offense. But however you did it, at the end of the day, you were still you still needed a great defense, obviously, to win a national championship. And Bama, you know, they they were able to to resist that trend and and win. I mean, the first four national titles that he won there was very much run the ball and play great defense. Right? It wasn't like they. The, you know the 2015 Alabama team won the national title with Jake Coker as its quarterback. The year before they went to the playoff with Blake Sims as their quarterback, right? But then, you know, then then you have the RPO. I would say was the next the next big movement, and Alabama embraced that when Jalen Hurts became the quarterback and took it to the next step with Tua. But what I think we're seeing now with Clemson, with LSU last year, with Alabama, is exactly what you just said elite quarterback, fantastic receivers, and they're just going to attack you. There's no uh, let's avoid mistakes and and play it close to the vest. It's we're going to throw the ball downfield and our receivers are better than your DBs. And LSU, you know, there were many games last year where LSU played a defense with really good, you know, with guys who would, defenses full of guys that were going to end up getting drafted, whether it was Georgia, whether it was uh, Clemson in the national title game. 
and it didn't it didn't phase Joe Burrow and those guys. And that's what Alabama is. And I think poor Georgia, poor Kirby Smart, he took the system that you know he took the the blueprint, the Nick Saban blueprint that existed when he was the DC there, and just kind of brought it over to Athens. And then right after he did that, Alabama moved on to something else. And um, yeah, I don't I don't see how Georgia gets over that hump with the quarterback and the receivers they have. And I don't even know if it would have been that different if I mean we never we'll never know what kind of quarterback Jamie Newman would have been. Um, but he would still be throwing to the same receivers, right? Uh, there's there's no Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith combo for Georgia, and, and most teams don't have that. So, I mean, I think that's a big reason why it seems like the number of teams that can win the national title gets smaller every year. Now, next week we'll see Ohio State for the first time. They obviously have an elite quarterback. We think they've got really good receivers too, and maybe they can be in that mix as well. Also, just one thing, and I looked this up a little this morning, and granted, it's an arbitrary stat. It's fairly anecdotal, but just thinking of, we saw last night Alabama, not just big plays, huge back-breaking momentum swing plays, right? 80-yard you know, plus plays. Um, even when the quarter, and again, I think this speaks to the caliber of athletes they've had at receiver, and even when the quarterbacks were not, were not um wow talents and that's not to say whether mac jones is a first round pick or what he's going to be obviously 2-0 we we were kind of you know saw as a different level than you mentioned jay coker and blake sims but i do want to point out even in those you know coker blake sims years alabama was in top 10 when it came to those huge plays in the passing game now they may not have had as many like you know 20 yard plays but they were still hitting 50 yard plays at a, at a higher level than almost anybody else. I'm looking back, they were in the top 10 in the country with that. And I think what that does is because you have such difference makers outside and they are so dangerous and you have that capability, I just think it gives you a much more fl- uh, flexibility in the run game. I think it's, a, it's, just a, it's just a threat factor. And now it's obviously elevated further because I think, look, credit to Steve Sarkeesian. I think he did a really good job uh, in how he called the game last night, and I think they have they have really developed a lot of weapons, and it complements the run game really, really well. Um, so anyway, that was just kind of something that, like I said, I was thinking about it from from the course of a day, and then obviously it was punctuated by watching just what 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 Alabama was able to do last night. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about the SEC because obviously it wasn't a busy day in the in the Big 12, and we'll talk about a little more beyond Clemson and the ACC in a second. But two games really also I thought were very interesting. And one, we've already talked about Sam Pittman. I know you said you've kind of done a mea culpa. He's obviously done way better and off to a much better start than I think anybody would have expected at Arkansas it was a really good win yesterday. I think Barry Odom, his defensive coordinator, obviously the former Mizzou head coach, if if they were to hand out a, Bro- a Broyles Award for the nation's top assistant, um, I think he would win it pretty handily considering what they did. It wasn't just like shutting down Mike Leach a couple of weeks ago. It's now just a really impressive group they have there. Guys are just making a lot of plays, and it's a team that looks like they're playing with a lot of confidence. And... You know, again, I don't know what they become this year. I don't know. You know, obviously they 
probably should have won last week and it, the re- officiating didn't go the way, you know, maybe it was thought of. But what do you think right now after having seen Arkansas a few times, right? And they did give Georgia problems and people looked at it as, oh, this is Georgia's, you know, this is a Georgia issue in the first half. But credit to Arkansas. They're, they're clearly better than people thought they would be. So what do you, like if you were to rank right now the teams in the SEC – do you think they're one of the five best teams in the SEC? Um, I think that they certainly have one of the best defenses in the SEC, which is a crazy thing to say, you know, because last year they had the worst of, defense in the. They had the worst defense in the SEC. They had the worst, and I think they had the worst. They was them and Rutgers in a, in a contending for the title of worst defense in all of Power Five. But they've played enough games now. Where you've seen this, seen them play at a high level, and I was looking through their uh, their their starting lineup yesterday. Like you would think to have that dramatic a turnaround. Oh, they must have brought in some JUCO guys or some grad transfers. Nope, it's guys who were who were already there, and in many cases weren't even uh, playing that much. Um, and, and by the way, the guy who had been their best defensive player the first three games, their safety bumper pool. Uh, didn't play. So even, even without him, it wasn't like the defense fell apart. Uh, new guys stepped up. So I, I, I hate to throw somebody under the bus like this, but do you remember who Arkansas's DC was under Chad Morris? Uh, it, was it John Chavis or is that too far back? It was John Chavis. Okay. John Chavis is an interesting person in that he was considered – probably the best defensive coordinator in the SEC at one point. Long time, uh, Phil Fulmer, D.C. at Tennessee, uh, then went to LSU under Les Miles, was part of, I mean, I think he was the D.C. on that uh, great 2011 team. And then it was considered a really big deal when Kevin Sumlin got him at A&M. But each year that went by, it seemed like you just kept waiting for that turnaround on A&M's defense, and it never came. And they started, people started to think, oh, he's not really. The game had passed The him game by. had passed him by. Well, I think that's pretty clear now um, because these guys, it's the same players, but they know what they're doing now, and uh, and it shows. Are they one of, I, mean, I mean, you asked about just overall SEC teams. I mean, teams that I think are definitely better than Arkansas, it's, um, it's a short list. It's uh, Alabama, Georgia, uh, Florida, A&M. And then, and that's where I got, and I was like, hmm. After that, know. you know, maybe, maybe Kentucky. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I think that they are better than Auburn, and I think they showed it on the field and got screwed uh, on that. I mean, just play. You know, on that, I do um, want to button spike. this up. I do want to button this up a little bit because we talked about it, but think about who they just bottled up yesterday. Ole Miss a week yep. ago. Ole Miss was having Nick Saban pull his hair out. Because they couldn't slow down that offense, and then all of a sudden, you know, they get held to twenty-one points, and they and they force six turnovers, uh, not seven turnovers, six interceptions. So again, I just think that that itself, again, I don't know if this is gonna, we're gonna say this a month from now. Teams get better, teams get worse, team. There's attrition and everything like that. But right now, as crazy as it is, I mean, I think they are one of the five best teams in the SEC at this point. Yeah, they turned Lane Kiffin from 
the guy who ba- I mean you the the vibe coming out of the Alabama Ole Miss game you would think he had won right really uh, um, trolling the trolling Alabama about the, the the stealing signs accusation or insinuation and then there were several times in that game yesterday where he was you know hands on his knees dejected like what's going on and and their quarterback was putting up Mac Jones type numbers until yesterday and he threw six interceptions so hats off to Barry Odom to Sam Pittman who I absolutely whiffed on in terms of the new SEC hires last year um they're doing a great job by the way here's the craziest stat as I look this up do you know who leads the SEC right now defensively uh it's not Georgia anymore no there's a new number one and it's the one of the last teams you would suspect um mississippi state mike leach's mississippi state bulldogs lead the sec in defense it's their offense that has gone completely uh in the tank since that lsu game okay Stu, back to the podcast in a second but now a word from our sponsor linkedin talent solutions when you are hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free terms and conditions apply yeah you know the only reason i knew that is because this is kind of weird so i was like playing around with with uh cfb stats late yesterday and georgia at the time was in yards per play georgia was one this is obviously before the alabama game mississippi state was two and arkansas was three arkansas really did not move anywhere from where they were they're actually now fourth in rankings but their number I think yards per play is always it was you know almost exactly the same before Ole Miss as it was after but Kentucky and maybe this is a not a great segue but it's a segue Kentucky jumped into the top three and that was the other game to me that got my attention Stu I don't want to say I believe Tennessee was going to be um, a top 10 team but Tennessee was just a huge disappointment yesterday. It's a home game. I get it. There were a couple of pick sixes. Sometimes people write off pick sixes as like, well, it was a lot closer, but there was, you know, almost like it was fluky when it really isn't fluky. But they got dominated in the second half, especially. And 
you know, look, Mark Stoops, I think has, we, we've talked about how good a job he has done at Kentucky. Um, I don't know. Were you, was your takeaway more impressed by Kentucky or more kind of just disappointed and kind of off the bandwagon if you were on it or starting to get on it about the balls? Yeah, I mean, we at this point, I, I, I'm Kentucky beating just about anybody doesn't surprise me anymore. I mean, Mark Stoops has it going there, um, but for it to be that lopsided, for it really, really, you know, Tennessee fans are so desperate to to have something to hold on to at this point that it was a little weird. I thought how much they had bought back in off of that winning streak to end last season that ended in the Gator Bowl because anybody could look at who they played during that streak and say, well, let, let's let's temper things here a little bit. Let's wait and see how, how they do when they face the upper teams in the conference. And then they, Georgia kind of sent them back to earth. But okay, right? That's going to happen. Like, that's not the end of the world. But to get pounded by Kentucky like that, I mean, it just reminded you that I do think Jeremy Pruitt has upgraded their talent. I think that they have a legit, or they have the makings of a legit defense, but they still have the same quarterback. And it was all when people would ask me in the offseason, like, how do you, do you think Tennessee can be the surprise team? I'm like, well, it's just going to depend on. I think they may have a ceiling as long as it's still Jared Garantano. And sure enough, this was the game where he where he imploded. So um, it's been the same pretty- script for three years now, where he yeah. he puts his faith in him, then he yanks him, then he puts him back in. And uh, I don't know. I think you you know what you're going to get from him now. And the question is. At what point do they turn to, to one of the younger quarterbacks? I mean, they've thrown some of those guys in, and then it, it also feels like it's a rotating cast of, of any one of three guys behind him. Is it Brian Maurer? Is it, is it um, JT Stroud? Is like, what, what direction do they go with this? And good luck. They got Alabama next week, you know, so... Um, you know, it, it, at this point, and then they got Arkansas, who now look, doesn't look like a pushover, and that's on the road. And then A and M. I mean, the team that I'm not—I'm not predicting that they're going to lose five in a row, but they could. I mean, it's very impossible. It's just like this was a team like going into the Georgia game. Actually, in the first half of the Georgia game, looked like okay, they may be at least in this bizarro, you know, 2020 year when other teams aren't playing. They may be one of the 10 best teams playing and now you look at them going whoa some the bottom just seemed to have like just fallen apart and what's sobering for that is and you know if they lose to alabama they're going to be two and three which is become par for the course that they by the time they come out of the alabama game they have a losing record now last year they turned it around from there and ended up with a eight and five record but the schedule does not set up the same way this year Stu, because no you know they have A and M in November, mid-November. They also have Florida at the end of the year. That's they didn't play anybody of Florida's caliber at that point in that stretch. You have to. Ten- I say I've said this for a while now. You have to reset your expectations in the SEC because you didn't get to. Nobody gets to pad their their win loss record with three nobodies and ten SEC games instead of eight. So it may be that Tennessee was always going to, you know, success for them was was going to be like seven and three, but I don't, I don't think they're going to get to that at this point. Um, all right. Too much SEC talk. You mentioned him earlier, Notre Dame. Uh, so we had a couple interesting results in the ACC yesterday. 
outside of Clemson doing what Clemson does. Uh, UNC, they had risen to number five in the country. I think we all suspected that that was a little too too soon to be putting them that high. And they go to Tallahassee and they lose to a Florida State team that had really struggled up until that point. And, you know, good for Florida State. Great win for Mike Norvell. Um, you know, uh, you feel bad for the North Carolina uh, receiver who dropped the wide open pass that would have kept the drive alive. Uh, so you've got that that result. You've got Virginia Tech going out there, and man, that offense is really good. Uh, they took it to a BC team that I know you had been high mm-hmm. on. And then you've got this weird Notre Dame Louisville game. Final score twelve seven. Now they, it's a little deceiving. They they took a knee at the end there. They probably could have made it nineteen seven, but still. Uh, you know, I think that's a great showing by their defense against a Louisville offense that has put up some points this year. Uh, but it's like you said earlier, something's not quite right there. They, they found their running game, that's for sure. But you know, I'll tell you what, you know who's a player who I didn't really appreciate as much in college and now you see what he's doing in the NFL? Chase Claypool. I, I would not have guessed that he was one of those receivers who would be really hard to replace. And so... It just seems like they don't have anybody. They don't have anybody that can stretch the field, and Ian Book is struggling because of it. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they, Notre Dame is always going to have, it feels like, a good offensive line and good tight ends, and they have that now. What it just, you know, right now, and again, it's still early in the season, or relatively early, um, but they have got to find a way to just get more dynamic in the passing game. Easier said than done, but to me... Like, if they're really going to be... Because right now, yeah, their their record is still spotless. But just the way it's gone, um, you know, you just don't look at them and say they're going to have any chance against Clemson. I get it. It's, it's a home game for them. But unless the weather is miserable there, which is entirely possible at this time of year up there, you know, it could happen. But I just I just don't see them being able to hang with, with, with Clemson for more than a little bit of time. Clemson's just too explosive and too good and too athletic and again i mean i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but you know that is right now when you see unc going down the way they did uh, by the way i'm with you on virginia tech like i they were a, they're the hardest team at least in maybe in the country right now to get a great read on because they've had so many players sideline for a variety of reasons um, they have a bunch of transfers who come in and have played really well and have been impressive. Um, you, you're right; their offense is is very interesting right now. And so, I feel like you know, outside of our friend Andy Bitter, I'm not sure anybody has a great feel for how just how good they are. I mean, for all we know, they could be the second most dangerous team in the in the uh, in certainly the ACC. But, if you had to um, guess, as of today, who's playing Clemson in that game? I don't know. I, I, Notre Dame's offense has been such so underwhelming to me. I, you know, my instinct was to say them because I have confidence in their defense and I think they have a really good offensive line. So those two things, if everything's being equal, um, you know, I would. Uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, North Carolina has the second best quarterback, but I don't know. I, I, I just now that you're going to have some other leagues start to play, I think you're going to look and go. There is no other top ten team caliber team really in the ACC. Yeah, there's some that are out there that were in there because 
you know, like in our rankings, we're not ranking teams that aren't playing. But once the Big Ten plays, I think that's going to change things. Would you, I mean, is there any, I mean, are you thinking despite of losing to Florida State that UNC is because of Sam Howell and because of the skill guys is still the second best team? I think they're still very much in contention. I think so are, so is Notre Dame. I don't want to completely dismiss Miami. They came back and won uh, against Pitt. But Virginia Tech's the one I'm starting to become enamored with because now that Hernan Hooker's the quarterback, I mean, he and, and Khalil Herbert both ran for over 160 uh, against BC. And then, like you said earlier, the defense every week so far has played without key guys in their secondary. At some point, they're going to actually play with their full lineup. They forced a bunch of turnovers yesterday. Um, they It may be that they've got that dynamic offense you need and – We'll see what happens on defense. I mean, UNC already beat them, so they have an edge there. Um, and, and you know, they're kind of similar teams in that regard. But I do think Notre Dame, talent-wise, is the second-best team. And it's like we said off the top. You can win a lot of games running the ball and playing good defense, but you're not going to beat Clemson that way. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I wanted I'm, to – go ahead. Just on one thing on the hooker, I mean, I don't think people realized how good he was last year when he played. And from talking to people I trust down there in Blacksburg, I mean, they think he has a big-time NFL arm. You know, not and this name is going to, you know, probably sit funny to hear it. But, like, Logan Thomas had a cannon for an arm, and I, he's now playing tight end. And that's probably because of the accuracy issue as much as anything else. But hooker's arm strength is not far off from that. And he has really good straight line speed. I mean, he brings a lot to the table. It's just been staying healthy. And you mentioned Herbert and Blackshear as a guy who gives him a bunch of stuff in the, you know, not just in the run game because he's really, really versatile. And um, I, they're interesting. I, I, it's just the thing that gives me pause about about the Hokies is just the consistency factor. Like I feel like they. And, and you could probably say this about a bunch of teams in the in the ACC. It just feels like you just have a hard sense on, okay, who do I trust from a week to week beyond Clemson? You know, I mean, I don't know if if you feel much differently, but it's just that's the part. I mean, like, you know, they have guys. I mean, they have weapons. I mean, Herbert, Hooker, Blackshear, those are those are those are guys who can who can really give you have firepower. It's just I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I want to buy in, but then I, then I feel like I get burned by them. I wanted to ask you about your top 10 this week because, first of all, I kind of seeded this over to you. Now that I'm doing the, the takeaways column on Saturday nights, I'm not doing a top 10 anymore. You're doing it. And I don't envy you because you are, and I would, I would take the same approach, not including teams that haven't played yet. Um, and that definitely limits your options. But you've got number one Alabama, number two Clemson. You dropped Georgia... Well, I guess you didn't drop them, right? You just kept them at number three. Um, but here's where it gets interesting. Number four, BYU. Number five, Cincinnati. Number six, Notre Dame. Number seven, Oklahoma State. Number eight, SMU. Number nine, Texas A&M. Number 10, love this team. Not sure I'd be ready to put them in the top 10, Coastal Carolina. I want to ask you about BYU in particular. Can I defend Coastal Carolina since you sure. kind of took a dump on them? So, which is amazing because right. I'm the I'm the at the front of the Coastal Carolina bandwagon. I love everything about them, including the uniform. Apparently, you don't though. Apparently, you don't. You say you do, but you really don't. 
<laughs> so here's what I'm why I'm going big on Coastal Carolina. It's a couple of reasons. First of all, the last two weeks, they a couple of weeks ago they beat Arkansas State and they blew out Arkansas State. Right? That was, that was a, a that is a really good win. Um, you know, look, and Arkansas State has had its issues with COVID and players, but not being there. Remember, Arkansas State went to K State. K State is one of the best teams in the Big Twelve. I know it's not; they're not a CFP caliber team, but they beat them on the road. And again, Coastal Carolina hammered them. And then this past week, they go down to Louisiana, beat a very good Raging Cajuns team on the road, and the, that team they beat, the Raging Cajuns, had gone to Iowa State and thumped them. So. One of those teams right now, either K-State or Iowa State, I think is probably the top team in the Big 12, as crazy as that may sound. And they have wins over both of the teams that beat them. So, look, I know Coastal Carolina, people are going to look and go, they have no business being a top 10 team. And and probably when the Big 10 starts playing next week, there's going to be less room to have in the top 10. But I'm like, who's more deserving than Coastal Carolina at this point to be in the top 10 who I do not have? Tell me, Stu. Well, there's your thing. You're doing the most deserving thing, which I know you do. You hate, nobody hates more the, if you played on a neutral field, who would win thing. But I got to say it. Because then the games don't matter. Coastal Carolina against Florida, COVID-free Florida, tomorrow. You're taking, you're taking the Chanticleers? Is Dan, Dan Mullen's not coaching the game, right? Because he's <laughs> he's on the side. No, line. this is in. This they is have in, half the team. Sorry, Stu, we're not playing games in fantasy. Or this land. is in fantasy land where they this have their whole fantasy team. land. Look, you can have Stu's fantasy land top ten. I mean, does LSU get to have Jamar Chase on the you know in the games now because he's opted out? But in your your world, he's still technically not in the NFL. Sorry, Coastal Carolina deserves a spot in the top ten. And you, Stu, are not going to pee in their oatmeal. So <laughs> I hate that it ended up this way because I love watching Coastal Carolina. I think uh, Grayson you just don't McCall like, you, you is You may so love watching watch. them. You just don't love watching them win. Uh, they have had some good wins. There is no question about it. I mean, first of all, they were picked. This is the crazy thing. Uh, look, I don't cl- claim to be a close follower of, of Sunbelt personnel, right? So you come into the season, you just assume Appalachian State – Louisiana Lafayette. Coastal Carolina was picked last in its division in the Sun Belt. And I don't know how anybody could say they haven't been the best team in the Sun Belt so far. The one I actually wanted to ask you about was BYU. They fascinate me. The big win against Houston the other night. Zach Wilson, I said in my column, he he's the early leader for the Joe Burrow of 2020 award. Like he had showed promise his first two seasons, but he was hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. He he hasn't didn't do anything close to what he's doing so far this year. Where you've got the stat here, he's accounted for 18 touchdowns and just one interception. He's completed at least 71 percent of his passes in every game. And BYU is five and zero, and we're wondering if they can go ten and zero. But number four in the country, huh? Who is more deserving than BYU? Again, just, the, mo- the more deserving thing. Well, okay. I mean, who do you want in there? You want Auburn, Stu, because you look at their star <laughs> rankings? Is that what you want? So BYU beat Houston. We have no idea how good Houston is. I feel like is. you and you and Ari need to have this podcast. You guys can just talk about what it was and 247's database 
and has nothing to do with what happened on the field or what's happened since those players got there. Here's what my the top of my rankings would look like, and you you can accuse me of SEC bias if I was doing this. I'm not sure be. I want to hear this. You know why, Stu? This would be like me giving you my bowl projections. I shirked that responsibility. <laughs> I passed it off to some other peon in the company, and so I don't deserve to have that form. Fair Go enough. Ahead. Fair Go enough. Ahead. Tell, uh, tell me, tell me your uh, tell me your rankings. One Clemson, two Alabama, three Georgia. Four, Texas A&M. Five, Notre Dame. Six, Florida. What are you basing... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Notre Dame and Florida, what are you basing those on? Uh, what, is I, Florida, what has Florida done that, you know, after losing, that, that gives you so much confidence? What has Notre Dame done that has given you so much confidence? I mean, if we believe... You told me earlier, you said A&M. Uh, you said they were... Did what you say? Legit top 10 team? I think they are. I mean, at the end of the day, Florida lost them by a field goal, right? They lost. Like, they lost. They lost, but it wasn't like they got exposed in some way in that game. And yes, they haven't played good defense, but ha- we could count on one hand the number of teams in the country that have played elite defense so far. So they still got Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts. Uh, I think they're probably one of the ten best teams. I don't, maybe they don't have Dan Mullen right high. now. I hadn't really thought about this before. But if you were a committee member and the committee rankings were coming out this week, would you downgrade Florida because their coach is in isolation and we and and we don't know which you know they they probably won't have all their players back. I mean, by the for time me, Stu, and this is not the same same prism the committee looks at things based on entirely. At least you know we're talking about a, a basically a snapshot right now, right? What the CFP rankings they don't really matter in the first week; they matter in the last week, and in this case. I mean, I'm, I'm, my top 10 is basically on what have they done so far as much as anything else. And so, you know, the fact that Dan Mullen announced he tested positive on Saturday when they were already had a postponed game, I don't know. I don't know if I would factor that in. What would be interesting, I guess, is if the next time they play, assuming that he doesn't coach and if they have a poor performance, and look, he's very involved in his offense more so than some other coaches are on one side of the ball or not so do you give them a pass if they go out and lose um and i guess that's up to each individual person how would you grade it well it's my understanding that the committee will treat it like injuries so um you don't it doesn't mean it didn't happen but you might take into consideration if they, you know, once everybody's back, they look a lot better than they did that week. All I know is if you're doing it based on what they've done to this point, Florida want, beat Ole Miss on the road 51-35, beat South Carolina 38-24, and lost 41-38 at A&M. And as you know, Bruce, that was entirely because they put too many people in the stands. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't know where exactly they'd be ranked. I would have them in the top 10. And you know what? I want to I wanna be a culpa here. I, I actually now realize, like, why not put Coastal Carolina in the top 10? They've looked good. You're, you're right. They've had some, some decent wins. They probably don't stay there. Uh, I'm now on board with Coastal Carolina. I just question some of the other higher-up ones. We've got some mailbag questions to get to. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. First of all, Bruce, just... Thanks to the listeners who let us know how much they enjoyed our interview with uh, Molly McGrath. Dan says, Stu and Bruce, I had 
So many questions I was excited to ask, but something in the interview with Molly McGrath blew my mind and I need more info. She mentioned sometimes walking or running for eight or nine miles a game. Is this true across the board? Do you experience this? I can't wrap my head around all of the moving on a football field. Yeah, it can. I mean, I've, I've never put an odometer on my hip or anything like that, but I, I know it's a lot because you go from one side to the, to the other almost constantly because you're either trying to check what's going on from Siri to Siri, or there's almost, I hate to say it like this, but there's so often injuries in games where you have to go on that sideline. So, you know, a player could go down on first down and then on third down, a player on the other team gets helped off. And it's like, it almost becomes like a mad dash from one side to the next. And so I think there's that. I mean, I think Molly said it in passing. And I know I m- mentioned this on our show in, in previous years, but like you're out there for six plus hours. It's, and there is, and it's not like, look, it's not like we're working in a, in a coal mine or anything like that, but it's not like just because the game goes to commercial or because the game goes to half, you don't leave the field. Like I would go out on the field usually two plus hours before kickoff. And then uh, you're out there during halftime because there's really no time to go anywhere. And then you're obviously, you know, out on the field, those games usually are three and a half hours, sometimes close to four hours. And then you're still down there for another 15 minutes of post game. So it's, you know, it's, it, I can't imagine, uh, you know, Molly was talking about just about remembering to eat, remembering to drink water. I mean, the peeing factor is a different issue. That's not one, honestly, it's like, I, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it that I'm like, man, I can't imagine all that, the, the other things that would make it that much harder to, to do the job um, beyond just the job itself. And so, um, and she's not the first um, woman who's, who's gone through a pregnancy, as she said, while doing that. But, you know, I think I, I appreciate her sharing some of that stuff because I just don't think necessarily a lot of us think about some of those things when we're, you know, in the middle of it. So wait, while we're on the topic, let me ask you this. Because she said she went six hours without using the bathroom. Um, do you do that? Do you go the six hours without, you never have to pee? Yeah, but I mean, and again, I don't want to get into this as a guy thing or a woman thing, but like uh, most guys, you know, like the break the seal um, kind of point when you go to a bar or whatever, it's like the first time you pee. And then all, once you do that, all of a sudden it's like, ugh, now you're going to have to go. Like, that's something where I usually would would pee right before I would uh, go down to the field, and then you kind of know you, it may be a six hour day or whatever. Because sometimes, like you, if you've done enough games, you know where the closest bathrooms are. Like at Husky Stadium, I know the one I can get to and get back. But the idea of going into a stadium where you're in a suit and you're and you're standing there with your like your notes and you got a you got a stick mic. And you're next to like eight other dudes in the urinal. Um, it's just a it's just a weird a weird situation. So if you can make it through on you know uh, <laughs> for six hours, you do the best you can. This is blowing my mind right now. Now because you know I wake up in the morning, I have a big cup of coffee. I come sit at my desk. All right, the big cup of coffee, Stu. I don't want you going where I think you're going. Let's. We don't need to go. No, there. no, that's not where I was going. I'm just saying, once you start drinking water and coffee, 
I mean, now the bathroom is 10 feet from where I work. Like I can just get up and go whenever I want, but I just can't imagine. Not even a halftime, huh? That's a that's a pretty amazing feat. It's hard. You just don't have a ton of time because remember, like the way most broadcasts work, when when halftime starts, you're going off the field to interview one coach, and when halftime is about to start or about to end, and that's really about you want to be in position like six minutes before the before the halftime ends because you're coming onto the field with the other coach. So your halftime window is only about five minutes. You know, so what I would usually try to do is eat or drink something at that moment. Also, let us not forget you're mic'd up. So if you're not careful, you could have a naked gun moment, right? Where the people back in the truck would hear everything. Yeah, we don't want that. Um, again, Molly was a very popular guest, Dan Russell. I love college football probably way too much. Old enough to have seen John Willie and Dandy Don playing college. Saw Alabama in Bears first year at the school as head coach. Listen to every podcast you've done. Loved every book I've read from Bruce. But listening to Molly was the best thing I've heard in years and years. We will wow. make sure to pass that feedback along to her. Andrew Stolowitz. I'm a Washington season ticket holder. And as excited I was about heading up to Seattle for Labor Day weekend to watch the Huskies take on Michigan, I thought the initial decision made by the Big Ten and Pac-12 conferences to not start the season on time was correct. Do you think the COVID outbreaks we've seen at schools and among teams leading to the postponement and rescheduling of games has validated that decision? I love that question, and I think it's a question that's going to come up pretty much every week the rest of the season. Now, I don't think we're in no position to say that the SEC or the Big 12 did it wrong. Their season is going – I've seen it. That There were some columns this week like – that the, the season's been a disaster because there have been so many postponements. I disagree with that. It's just the fact that we're able to do this, even if it means some games get postponed, is frankly kind of a miracle compared to where we were in the summer. That being said, if the Big Ten and Pac-12 daily testing program works the way they think it will, to me, not just the fact that they might make it through the season without having postponements, but just... You don't want positive tests. You don't want a situation like what's happening in Florida right now. And if testing them daily can lead to, no, you know, kids are still going to test positive. If you don't have these massive outbreaks, to me, that's a win. I think it's too. It's really too soon to tell on this point. I mean, my my instinct, and I don't want to go too far down this point, but like, as long as somebody in college football does not get very, very sick or or worse from that, then I think. Um, like I, I would have to say it, the fact that we're almost at the World Series in baseball and yes I know there was it was some rocky moments uh, with with the Marlins and I think with the Phillies and maybe the Cardinals but that they were able to get to that point and the fact that granted NBA was a bubble WNBA was a bubble NHL was a bubble but the fact that baseball has gotten almost to the end of the run um, Granted, now there there have been almost no fans. I know in the postseason there have been you know some fans, and that's a different situation than college football. And so I think this is a really really polarizing topic um, to get into because it's gotten so entangled in a lot of politics and a lot of craziness and everything else. But but um, yeah, I I think I'm with you in terms of like. I I wasn't gonna I wouldn't have read into some of the things that came in the wake of the Florida postponement of the LSU game 
on the same day as Nick Saban's, now what looks like a false positive test. You know, I just think it, as long as, as uh, if there isn't anything that gets, you know, from at least on the college football side, obviously the, the, the reality in terms of outside of sports, it's been, it's, been, it's been very sobering. But on the college football side, at least to this point, I think it's too soon to really say but, you know, if you were to judge baseball, I think you would have to say baseball at this point has, you know, it's been very fortunate. As it seems to have gone probably as well as they could have hoped, I think. There was actually a remarkable nu- uh, news nugget, I believe, yesterday I saw it on the ticker, that baseball hasn't had a positive test in forever. And that their uh, positivity rate just on the whole season, even with that rough start, is like, 0.05 percent and they're not in a bubble and they're traveling so that that's to me that's remarkable college was always going to have it harder because they are college students on a college campus and covid has spread like crazy on a lot of these college campuses but like you said now a lot of these, these schools don't release any numbers they're very secretive we have no idea if there have been kids that got it really bad but you would think we've talked about this you would think if somebody actually had to be hospitalized that would have come out some way or some somehow um look the big 10 and the pac-12 to be vindicated or not vindicated i don't know i just it's know they soon, have it's way too soon to get in we yeah, don't even know how they have we don't even know Stu, how the big 10's covid testing policy is actually going to work out there's a story i've been working on along with andy staples and some of our colleagues who cover the big 10 for the athletic That'll, that'll run in the next couple of days really about in light of the Saban situation and some of the protocols in place in the Big Ten. How is this going to work? How much uh, is there? What are the concerns? Because some of the people I've heard from in the Big Ten, they are, as they explained to me, and I, I said this a little bit on the Big Noon show yesterday, um, they're terrified of a Saturday morning positive test because at that point there really is no safety net in there for them to say what happens if this is a if this is in fact a false positive they've got a lot riding on the idea that these antigen tests are going to save save <clears throat> they've got a lot riding on the fact that these the testing every day and using these antigen tests is going to be um, this great solution and we are hearing about false positives quite a bit and I think part of that is that when you test, 150 something people every day for the whole week now you're into the thousands just statistically you're going to have false positives now nick saban's false positive was a was a pcr test um and you know what's interesting and i didn't know this and credit to ross dellinger for uncovering this if this had happened like 10 days earlier saban wouldn't have been able to test out of it like that that was actually a a change in the sec policy that was that instituted very quietly when a Texas A&M soccer player had a false positive but then went on her own and got retested and three times in a row like that. And so they they made that their own official policy. The Big Ten, the thing that like scares everybody is that if a player tests positive, they're out for 21 days. You better have a mechanism in place to make sure that that, was actually a, that, that wasn't a false positive where you send the kid away for three weeks. Um, Jacob from Birmingham. Hey guys, love the pod, but as an Auburn fan, I am increasingly frustrated by the lack of progress Gus has made. This is year eight, and it seems that we continue to take steps backward every game this year. Bo Nix doesn't seem to be improving. The offensive line is still really bad. 
The defense isn't even great now either. Is this the year Auburn finally pulls the trigger and fires him even with the pandemic? Interesting question. Uh, you're <laughs> interesting Saturday. Uh, so I was around Big Frank yesterday. You remember what being around Frank Thomas is like on game day Saturdays. Um, he loves his Auburn Tigers. Loves, that's for yeah, sure. and he has a love-hate relationship with it. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't go so great. And so I could see the frustration in him, and he does not have a poker face. Um, I don't know what Auburn does, right? I mean, because obviously they committed a ton of money to Gus Malzahn when the Auburn and Arkansas jobs were in limbo, it felt like, for a little bit there. I mean, the question is, is was that has Auburn reached its ceiling under Gus? I mean, do you think they have? Um. Well, this the the problem is like his ceiling technically is he reached the national title game, but that was so long yeah, ago. Yeah, that now is true. Yeah, that you can't really. I don't. I don't think that's really anything you base it on now. Um, you know, I think that they. I think he has them in a place where. I don't know. This is a really interesting question to think about because I was just about to say where they're never going to be Alabama, but they've actually beaten Alabama more than anybody else has, or he has beaten Alabama more than anybody else has since he's been there. So um, I do know this. I I am not seeing the superstar in the making that Bo Nix, that some people thought Bo Nix was after his freshman season. I do agree that he's gone backward. The questions I had about them going into the season, about their running backs and their offensive line, have not been answered. And you do wonder about that Chad Morris hire now. We know they've been friends for a long, long time. And we know that Chad Morris has had a reputation as being this great offensive coach ever since he got the thing going at Clemson before um, before they took it to the next level. But no real evidence of that lately. And I wonder if, if that's going to cause even more backlash if they end up having a bad season. Oh, Gus just hired his buddy and look what happened. Yeah, I, I don't know who you'd see as a fit there. Um, you know, look, we don't expect this to be a busy year on the coaching carousel circuit. I mean, who knows? It's, it wouldn't be shocking, though, the way things are, seem to be going at Texas if there was a chance that came open. Um, I don't know. It's too, say, too soon, I think, to say, oh, Auburn, Auburn's going to be on the market right now, but... I don't know who you look at and say, okay, that guy is a fit there at this point. I mean, there's certainly some coaches in the Sun Belt who look like they're ready to to be for bigger jobs, whether it's Jamie Chadwell at Coastal or, or Billy Napier at Louisiana. It's just Auburn is a big, big job. Um, I, I don't know what – if you're Auburn and you're Alan Green, the AD there, and you've got a lot of – very influential money people there. It's a, it's a, I don't know. I just, I, the, to me, there's, there's so much uncertainty because of all the other factors that go on into this. Like, I think if you move on from Gus Miles onwards, you better be sure you have a really good situation there to, to, to remedy it. And I don't know that there is that. It's not like, you know, I don't see like them saying, "Hey, we're going to go get Urban Meyer, and he's going to come move move to, to bring us." You know, he and his wife are going to come to Auburn, and he's going to go back to the SEC. I don't. I mean, I, obviously now I work with him in full disclosure, but I don't see that happening. But 
So, I don't know. Do you, Look, see, do you see anything and go, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense for Auburn? Auburn has been underwhelming so far, but I, I wouldn't rule them out yet this year. Gus, you think about the 2013 team that went to the national title game and the 2017 team that um, that that beat two number one teams down the stretch. Um, they both started slow. And, and, and I'm looking at the 2017 team now, and I'm taking out the Georgia Southerns and the Mercers because that's not comparable to this year. They started three and two against Power Five teams, and then they got rolling. And um, the key to any Gus Malzahn team is the running game and having a great running back. They had one in Trey Mason. They had one in Carryon Johnson. Haven't had one in the last couple of years, but Tank's, Tank Bigsby, the freshman, does look good, and maybe he starts to come on here um, as they get further into the season. Okay. Uh, um, one more. Last question. thing is, yeah. yeah. Well, the last thing is not a question. It's just a uh, a chance for me to, to to soak in some glory here. I did not realize this. I hadn't checked, but Jerry Swider from Sherman Oaks, California, says congratulations on going nine and zero against the spread, Stu. Are you going to remind Bruce that you won all six games in which you took two took opposite sides? You won nine and zero against the spread yesterday. Apparently so. I have never done that. I don't think I've even come close to doing that before and just to to my own horn even more you know we <laughs> talked about this on the pod last year and you treated it like i was doing cocaine but i do like to play some halftime bets every so often just to keep things interesting on a saturday and i hit all four halftime bets so that technically makes me 13 and 0 for the weekend which is just insane you seem to have this image in your head that 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 sports betting is like you got to some seedy thing now where no, you no, call just, your bookie just, in the back of an Italian restaurant here's in New York. The thing, I don't... It just, it just like to me, and again, shame on me, but I just feel like this doesn't line up with my my image of what I know of you. I mean, it's not like I'm a listener; I know you. So it's like, 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 like I think sometimes people would be surprised, and it's like. Oh, this is how I think these guys are because I listen to their show and and look a lot of what you know think, but it's like I, I was like it just doesn't line up. Um, so that's all. I think what it what it was is that we do do this against the spreads column, and while it's just for fun, you end up doing research for it that you would do anyway if you were a hardcore gambler. So I'm no Ari Wasserman. I'm not. Uh, I'm not on the phone placing the live. You know, you can. I, you probably don't know this, Bruce, but you can now place a bet at any point in the game it gets updated by Ari is a big gambler uh, you just don't know your colleagues at all I, do, I actually don't I mean obviously I know Ari likes cheap cheap fried food but I don't know anything else about Ari beyond that Ari is Mr. Vegas Ari had a, a Instagram uh, post I don't know maybe a week or so ago of a tab he ran up at and I hope there were a lot of people involved in this at one of those casinos, I mean, God bless the guy. We love the guy, but but yeah, I mean, what I'm doing is is very uh, child's play compared to to what he does. But we've got a few. We got a few on the staff. Um, my rule is I never would do it on a game I'm actually covering. Um, avoided Georgia Alabama last night just because I knew I'd be writing a lot about it. But otherwise, like, you want to place a, a a halftime bet at halftime of the Ole Miss Arkansas game? I don't see the big deal in that. Yeah, I look, and this is shame on me. I need to, I need to know my colleagues at the athletic a little better. <laughs> Who would, there's one more. I'm not going to give you the answer on online, but there is one more person on our staff who's big into it. 
that I bet if I gave you 15 guesses, you wouldn't guess first. Well, that's like the way you set that up. That's like screaming like Grace Rayner or like hangs out at the OTV <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't think so, but um, it's uh, yeah. I'll, I'll fill you in on that off because I, I don't have that. I don't think Ari's going to care one way or the other. I'm sure. I think he talks about it all the time. He in the pod, Ohio State podcast he does with Bill. I remember they talked about last season. They covered uh, Ohio State at Northwestern, and they stopped. <laughs> They drove and they stopped on the way back and spent the night at uh, one of those um, casinos on the uh, Indiana border. Uh-huh. So I don't think he's hiding that at all. I don't know about the other person. So. Okay. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.